0: Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now, welcome, integrative dietitian Ally Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished podcast.
1: You are joining us for episode 328: Child Obesity, Fueling Pharma Profits versus Sustainable Solutions. This is a really important and timely topic as just last week, we saw all over the news updates from the American Academy of Pediatrics, which include weight loss, drugs, and surgery for children aged eight and up. Really scary stuff. Absolutely. Something Uh, we had to jump in on and make sure we were able to discuss. Yep. Um, so obesity, we're looking at affecting currently 20% of kids and teens in the U S and about 42% of adults, according to the CDC. And we too see the importance of, you know, making some policy to support ideal metabolic health, addressing obesity head on, but shocker, we do not promote the intervention of drugs and surgery in children, which is just going to drive devastating side effects for kids and, of course, big profit for pharma.
2: Yes, so this topic needs to be addressed, and in this episode, we will be unpacking the recent recommendations. We will talk about side effects and concerns of the interventions being recommended now to our children in this country. Uh, We're going to talk about um, and read off some pull quotes from American lead pediatricians. Uh, We're going to talk about funding and corruption in the organization itself of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And then most importantly, of course, we're going to explore how to actually resolve childhood obesity. We're going to discuss some sustainable solutions, dig into toxicity, obesogenic ingredients, dysmetabolic syndrome, addictive eating tendencies, sedentary lifestyle, and so much more. So it's going to be jam-packed. I think that this might be a fun episode to forward on to a loved one or a family member or just someone who's new about this concept of food as medicine are interested in this idea that what you eat can really influence your whole body health um, and starting to think about maybe ways of cleaning up their diet or starting to restart their relationship with food in their household for their children. And um, hopefully this is a good resource for all. Yes.
1: So, so essential right now, clearly. Um, so before we get into all of that, let's just have a quick word from our opening sponsor for this episode, Fond Bone Broth.
2: Yes, so we love bone broth as a wonderful elixir that can balance electrolyte status in the body and can support gut function as well as bone, joint, healthy skin, healthy hair, and nails. So bone broth is comprised of amino acids, these protein building blocks glutamine is known to fuel our gut cells. Glycine is really favorable for neuromuscular health and also contributes to GABA production in the brain to kind of mellow us out. Um, So I can't be more of a fan of using bone broth as a replacement maybe for your coffee or tea to start off your day to start to line your gut and then maybe have that caffeinated beverage after Um, or having bone broth in the middle of the afternoon to stave off a craving or at the evening to kind of mellow out or as a base to make a meal in a mug Um, my favorite flavors that fond offers are their spring clean which is their yellow onion lemon and radish that is very versatile and one that i have pretty much (laughs) the majority of the days of the week Um, i also love their youth tonic which has uh, mushrooms with shiitake mushrooms and sage and shallots in there Conductor is another favorite in our household with butternut squash, chipotle, and rosemary. So these are all infused whole foods into the base of bone broth from chicken, which is going to always be uh, free-range chicken and we're looking at grass-fed beef bones and their beef flavors. Their sourcing is fabulous pairing with organic and sustainable farmers. They use artisan well water that they test for excellence in minerals on a daily basis and they make their broth in stainless steel vats and transfer it into glass. So absolutely mindful in the entire process from simmer through seal and their flavor profiles are absolutely delicious. What I was saying is they infuse these flavors but then everything's strained out so you're not getting like a puree of butternut squash you're getting like just the um, essence and also some of the nutrients from the skin of the butternut squash and some of that flesh but not adding any carbs Um, so bone broth is a great way to um, mellow out and also support gut health and also can be a way to support weight loss we often recommend a bone broth fast um, or bone broth as a meal replacement and this could absolutely be appropriate for children when we're looking to ensure they're getting enough protein sure and um, we're trying to cut carbs and find a great way to nourish them and reset that hunger satiety
1: valve too. Yes. I've been enjoying a jar daily. That was one of my goals during uh, the 10 day detox to get a, you know, jar of bone broth daily. Fawn makes it so easy. It's like, what flavor do I want today? Mm -hmm. Heat it up. Um, And then I've also been putting um, their turmeric bone broth um, into Noah's smoothies as a base. And he does not notice it. Like he won't yeah. sip bone or he broth yet. <laughs> um, or he likes it. And, and he's been getting more and more into soup. So great vehicle as well. But um, I'm using about a cup of that as the base of his smoothie. And he Love has it. no idea or no complaint.
2: Yeah. And then getting all that protein yes. if you add the grass fed away. Yep. All right. Awesome. So if you go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash Miller RD, or you use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout. Again, that's fond, F-O-N-D, bonebroth.com. Use Allie Miller RD at checkout and you will
1: get a savings on your first order. All right. So there were various news outlets that covered this uh, this past week. The American Academy of Pediatrics came out with these updates and they all kind of had a similar tone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just go ahead and pull from the CBS report and we'll go through and pick it apart and, you know, denote which parts we agree with and then the majority, which is just totally inappropriate, disempowering, disease driving kind of point out what we don't agree with.
2: Yes. So starting with the carrots or the, you know, carrots versus sticks, I guess, or the beneficial areas or things we align with. We definitely agree on the concern of the rise of obesity in America. And we especially are concerned with the rise of obesity and the comorbidities that pair with obesity in pediatric and teen populations. So we are already seeing one in five American children as classified as obese. And um, we've seen during pandemic, the BMI rate roughly doubling, which is wildly concerning. The greatest population of increase in BMI that really doubled over pandemic was children ages 6 to 11. And um, this has made quite a big increase um, where we're looking at obesity rising by 0.07% per month prior to pandemic and that skyrocketed to 0.37% per month, um, which is again five times faster than it was prior to the pandemic.
1: Right. And so we think about pandemic, you know, these kids were pulled out of school. They were stuck in front of computers. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have as much probably access to outdoor play, but we'll get into Sports all that. Sports canceled, yeah. all those yeah. types of things. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of them probably haven't, you know, resumed maybe those extracurricular activities. Um, I also read that if we continue at this current rate, so we said like about 42% of adults are obese, that this generation is going to take that to like 60% as Mm -hmm. adults, which Mm -hmm. is wild. And
2: that was the tone that I would also agree with this idea. This is a poll quote that I'll read. It says, the long-standing practice of watchful waiting or delaying treatment to see whether children and teens outgrow or overcome obesity on their own only worsens the problem that affects more than 14.4 million young people in the U.S., researchers say. Left untreated, obesity can lead to lifelong health problems, including high blood pressure, diabetes, and depression. And then I would go on to adding, you know, non-alcoholic fatty liver. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's so many different conditions, of course, that we can see beyond what's noted. Uh, But this concept, what they're teeing up for is this victim mentality of needing to be saved. This watchful waiting won't work. Sure. Um, And I think that the big difference is, yes, I do think that we need to provide more guidance and more nutrition education and more incentives for clean eating and look at how we're funding our farmers um, where we're really funding only industrialized crops which make processed foods right now with our subsidies Um, and so I think that there's a lot that can be done um, on a policy level and on an educational level to the eater to individuals Um, but I think that this idea of Letting them do it on their own, right. they,
1: they couldn't possibly. Right. That's the point right. that starts to get a little off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we totally agree. You know, if it's not addressed, there's going to be significantly more disease risk for the population at large. There are going to be more obese adults. Um, and we want to get ahead of this, you know, treat and prevent on the forefront. Um, before we get into sustainable health supporting solutions, let's just comb through the parts that were nauseating, um, <laughs> there both, were. yes, both in the interventions and, and positioning to the obese, you know, child or family and just the general tone of the piece.
2: Yeah. So this is a pull quote for the first time. The group's guidance sets, uh, sets ages at which kids and teens should be offered medical treatments such as drugs and surgery, in addition to intensive diet, exercise, and other behaviors and lifestyle interventions. And, Here's where we start to see the positioning of, you know, why you need the drugs and surgery. So this next quote, the guidelines aim to reset the inaccurate view of obesity as a personal problem, maybe a failure of a person's diligence, said Dr. Sandra Hasenek, director of AAP Institution for Healthy Childhood Weight and co-author of the guidelines. This is not different than you have asthma and now we have an inhaler for you, Hasenek said. Um, obesity is not a lifestyle problem it's a lifestyle disease Aaron Aaron Kelly co-director of the Center for Pediatric Obesity Medicine at the University of Minnesota says uh, he goes on to say it predominantly emerges from biological factors but then none of the biological factors are discussed So, what what are those biological factors the (laughs) fact that we're calling out that this is a lifestyle it's not a lifestyle problem it's not a lifestyle disease I definitely disagree with that Um, And then I definitely disagree with this concept of, you know, we need to reposition this inaccurate view that this is a personal problem. Um, You know, health at every size, that's that same messaging. Yet, oh, you need us and you need to pay $1,300 a month for this injectable drug. Right. Right. But health at every size, but you need to give us money. That doesn't make sense. It's so incongruent. Um, And that's that taking that positioning of, not creating personal responsibility and the importance of what a healthy weight is to model that as guidance
1: in America. Sure. And yet the asthma inhaler thing. Yeah. I I don't think so. Not exactly the same.
2: No, it's not. And, um, you know, this is where I posted on social. I think the day I read this article, this like pull phrase was stop promoting victim mentality and pharma savior dynamics. And I think that that's, what we've seen with the bad season, you know, this language during pandemic was: we don't know why this is happening. Stay home, mask up, lose your business, um, and just wait to be saved for the vaccine, and then you can see your family again. Otherwise, hug grandma through a plastic bag wall. Um, you know, there was no incentive to exercise. There was no talk about getting out in the sun, taking vitamin D use of glutathione or NAC, how to properly rinse your nasal passages, the importance of saline and xylitol and oral hygiene, what probiotics can do, why it's important to cut your sugar to not, you know, disempower your neutrophils. Um, I mean, it was wild and I think that instead it gave permission more so about, Don't worry about that COVID-15 weight gain and Netflix and chill and eat more to numb out the depression, and get french fries and a Big Mac with your vaccine.
1: Exactly, yep. Um, Or a Krispy Kreme donut, right? Wasn't that one? Yeah, that was another one. Yes, it was. Um, Super, super frustrating. And and I wanna get into how we would take a more functional medicine approach and what actual solutions could be. Um, But let's first dig into what the recommended interventions were. And then we can identify the areas of concern. So maybe starting with the drug interventions.
2: Yeah. So Wagovi or is it Wajovi? I always forget. Wagovi, I think is I've heard it said. Um, we talked about this a little bit, a couple episodes back when we talked about Ozempic. Um, and so Govi is a weekly injection and it has been approved for children ages 12 and older. Um, it's a semaglutide and um, it works on the pancreas to influence both satiety as well as blood sugar response and, and insulin response more specifically. And there was a study by the New England Journal of Medicine that found that Wagovi, which is made by Novo Nordic, um, helped teens reduce their BMI by 16% and that that was better results than they saw with adults. And so that was the big push for that. Now, this study was funded by the drug manufacturer themselves. It's the first funded in that study that you'll see. So it's coming out through a publication that wants to seem kind of neutral on the forefront. Um, but when you look at before you see the conclusions, the conclusions just note very um, simply among adolescents with obesity once weekly treatment with 2.4 milligram dose of semaglutide plus lifestyle intervention resulted in a greater reduction in BMI than lifestyle intervention alone. And then you see right there the Novo Nordisk and then the clinical trial step teens that funded this. Um, and then when you actually go up, though, to the results part, the conclusions don't even note anything about side effects. Um, they don't note anything negative. Um, they just say that there was more weight loss. Um, but Yeah, I wonder if there were more
1: side effects because you're using this in children, right?
2: Right, right. <laughs> Um, and, and when you look at the actual results, you can see some pretty significant side effects, just like we called out with the ozempic um, episode as well. So, you know, we saw significant impact on um, gastrointestinal events um, and some that had to drop out of the trial because they were so bad. There were five participants um, that were on the medication that had um, colitis. Cholelithiasis, which is basically gallstones, mm-hmm. um, and, um, none that weren't on the trial. So likely they probably had to get a cholecystectomy or their gallbladder removed sure. or go on another medication because of that. They don't obviously follow the pathology there. Um, and they saw serious adverse effects, um, much more in the injectable group. Um, and so again, I think that that all, you know, kind of goes unseen when you just read those conclusions by... The maker. Um, and then there was another one that looked at another injectable, the um, Lyra Glutide. And um, this also made by the same company, Novo Nord, Nordisk. Mm-hmm. And um, in this one, what was really wild, suicide was seen as one of the users in the intervention group. Um, they also had um, enough adverse effects to drive discontinuation of treatment. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, and it's remarkable when you start to look at. Uh, Oh, and this was the most remarkable I want to highlight. It says in the results, after discontinuation, a greater increase in the BMI standard deviation score was observed with the intervention group than with the placebo. So they obviously regained their Mm -hmm. weight dynamically, which should be discussed in the conclusions. But all they say in their conclusions is, in adolescents with obesity, the use of liraglutide, three milligrams, plus lifestyle therapy led to a significantly greater reduction in the BMI standard deviation score than the placebo plus lifestyle therapy. And so it's like this same stamped thing, and they will... You know, take out the whole story and just highlight what they're looking to see, and they'll even stop or adjust timeline of c- clinical trial once they stop seeing results, or choose another population and not publish. So you're really not, as a consumer, seeing this big picture, and even your doctor who. I really like to say that doctors are in it for the right reason to help people, but right. all they're given is obesity is a problem, diet and lifestyle isn't working, you need this,
1: and this is what the study said. Right. Here's the highlights of the study, and doctors are freaking busy and overtaxed, just yes. like the rest of us. So they right. probably, you know, don't have the time to go back and, you know, read all this. They're getting that from the farmer rep who's selling them the solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And you know, this medication itself is thirteen hundred dollars a month. Um, so quite remarkable, and many insurers aren't aren't on board paying for this right. for children yet. Right,
1: right. Um, and so you can check out our recent episode where we talked about this more so in adults. It was called. Um, Ozempic wonder drug, question mark. Um, and it's episode 323, where we talk about the mechanisms of these types of drugs, how they can drive dysglycemia and dependency, as well as pancreatitis and gastrointestinal gastrointens- uh, distress. And then I would know also thyroid cancer as um, yes. a known you know, adverse reaction and side effect of Ozempic in particular. And so if we're talking about using these in young kids, getting them hooked on them And needing them as you know Mm -hmm. young adults what's going to happen to these kids as adults it's going to be way worse yeah you know than if they were just obese honestly
2: and i mean we'll, we'll get into this but it just feels like i need to at least put it in a little bit now is it's also the idea that when a child nourishes their body and eats well they actually correct nutritional deficiencies. They actually improve their mood. They rewire their cravings by eating whole world foods. You know, I mean, there's this multitude of benefits and that's the sad part is not that I'm just this angry person that wants to shake my fist at big pharma, Mm -hmm. but that just the disempowerment and the victimhood of knowing once you take that first step in the turnpike, you know, you're just kind of giving your sovereignty of, of optimal health away. Um, And it's really just,
1: just disheartening to me and not to mention the you know beneficial effects in terms of mood behavior testing stores (laughs) concentration and focus um and you know lessened anxiety and depression in those older kids as well
2: fertility all of it so much
1: yeah so so much um so let's talk about a few of the other drugs that are being recommended here
2: okay so those were all the injectables and to my knowledge it looked like The injectable drugs are held for ages 12 and up, Okay, Um, but some of the oral drugs are allowed for ages 8 and upward. Um, The most commonly prescribed, actually currently, which is being used, um, I'm not sure if just the age range reduced for this drug, is Orlistat, Um, and this is a uh, fat-blocking medication, essentially, Um, and it's interesting, there really isn't substantially solid literature on the outcomes, even in the reviews, it's noted as modest results. Um, and what can be quite discerning or concerning is that the, um, drug itself, because it blocks fat absorption, that in itself mechanistically can create like very fatty stool, Um, bowel urgency, diarrhea, like embarrassing, um, in children. Um, also we can see just some gastrointestinal gas, bloating and discomfort, terrible cramping and, um, fat soluble vitamin deficiency. And especially when we're talking about, interestingly enough, you know, one of the nutrients to really explore is vitamin D. Because of its role with insulin sensitivity. And of course, vitamin D plays a role with the thyroid. Sure. And there, that's two right there, big influencing factors on obesity and metabolism.
1: Yep. yep. And then vitamin K plays a big role with insulin signaling as well. So yep. there's a lot of concerns. Okay. So one randomized controlled trial um, noted that the difference in weight reduction between the Orlistat and placebo groups was considered clinically insignificant. Yes. Um, so really no reduction in BMI between the, you know, the, uh, test group and the placebo group whatsoever. Right.
2: Um, and again, I think the gastrointestinal distress to consider in a child, uh, at that age and how embarrassing oh my like, gosh. bathroom yeah. issues can be could be really quite a significant imprint that we'd want to be mindful of especially if that child's already being made fun of and they're using eating as a coping mechanism definitely not going to boost their confidence which is what would help resolve the addictive eating in the first place sure Um, and even in this review study The um, authors then go on to still say it should still be considered, you know, first-line therapy, uh, pharmacotherapy, excuse me. So maybe their first-line therapy is exercise and diet without any real guidelines. But first-line pharmacotherapy for adolescents with BMIs, two or more units above the 95th percentile. And then they talk about the recommended dosage. They also note that um, the reduced absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, including vitamin D in particular, is of concern and should be monitored in the growing child. Um, and then even they go on to saying that the FDA actually recommends packaging Orlistat with a multivitamin containing 5,000 IUs of vitamin A, 400 IU's of vitamin D. 300 IUs of vitamin E and um, 25 units of vitamin K for adolescent use. Now, that's not packaged with that. That would mean that the pediatrician has to do their due diligence to do that extra step. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also notes that those multivitamins need to be taken two hours apart from the medication because the medication would block the utilization or um, absorption. Sure.
1: And, and you know, we know that we want to be taking that type of multi with a meal that contains fat. So you would. That would make it hard for the kid to even get that in. And I'm right. sure the compliance is really low. Exactly.
2: Yep. Uh, moving on to a more concerning drug that was approved in adolescence and then has actually been removed from the market. Um, I'm going to pronounce it as Sibutramine. That about right. Um, and it's a central serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. And this was approved for obesity in adolescence. Um in, in adolescents for treatment at ages 16 and older. And um, it was actually withdrawn um, because of increased cardiovascular adverse effects. So this was in the SCOUT trial, and the SCOUT trial was quite multi-pronged because that's also what included one of those injectable drugs that we discussed earlier. And um, this was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled multicenter study, and they saw that there was a difference in body weight at the end between the placebo and the subutramine groups that was small. In addition, there was a 16% increase in relative risk of cardiovascular adverse effects, including need for resuscitation, non fatal stroke, non fatal myocardial infarction, that's heart attack, and heart, uh, cardiovascular death. Um, Terrifying. So, yeah. So, that drug is no longer on the market and is quite concerning that that was, you know, again, what was actually done as the true interventions of diet and lifestyle that a parent is considering. This type of intervention. Sure. Um, and this takes us to the next one. Um, I'm going to call it quismia? Kassimia. Kassimia. Okay, that sounds it's more like the- maybe a. QS. Uh, I feel like I've seen it on maybe a commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it is
1: we don't watch enough like mainstream tv i know i don't even see these (laughs) farmer commercials and when i do i'm like oh my gosh we're still doing this i'm giving Uh
2: them my money yeah yes Um, so this is a combination of fentramine which is a known stimulant and um tapiramate which is an anti-convulsant nerve medication um and this combination drug has been approved to treat obesity Um, again all these with a disclaimer of wit together with dietary changes and exercise um, and it's stating that if less than 3% of weight loss is seen after three months, it's recommended that the medication be stopped. So it's basically stating that for some people it's not going to be effective. And in those people that you're not seeing efficacy, the risk of taking it mm-hmm. isn't worth it. So go ahead and discontinue Interesting. it. Um, yeah. And this has been approved for children ages 12 and older, um, who classify as obese. And we can see side effects, including dizziness, drowsiness, dry mouth, difficulty sleeping Uh, Tingling in the hands and feet, constipation, metallic taste, difficulty concentrating or finding words or remembering things. Um, We can see painful urination, fever, chills, and pink or bloody urine, as well as kidney stones. We can see rapid breathing, fast, slow, or irregular heartbeat, bone pain, broken bones, loss of consciousness, change in sexual ability or interest, unusual bleeding or bruising, depression, suicidal thoughts. Um, so that one also feels like as a parent, um, it makes me really emotional to know that like that's where we're at, where we feel helpless in helping our child, um, successfully see weight loss results. Right.
1: And then not to mention the mechanism or part of the mechanism of this drug is that it works as a stimulant. Um, so we've talked some on previous episodes about ADHD medications and how that can Mm -hmm. impact, you know, children's adrenal health for life. Yes. Um, And that's concerning as well, that it's going to really, you know, wreck their cortisol rhythm.
2: Yeah. So we would see that with some of those ADHD stimulant drugs, as well as just phentermine on its own or this combination medication as well. Yes.
1: Yeah, um, and then weight loss surgery, which you mentioned, extremely high risk, um, yes. was also posed as a potential intervention.
2: Right. So, unfortunately, statistically, the mortality rate for children undergoing weight loss surgery is one in five hundred, um, which is quite a, a a high risk gamble, I would say, no doubt. Um, and children are, you know. Often they'll say in the argument, well, they're less likely to have serious surgical complications because they may not have as advanced of kidney failure or liver Mm -hmm. failure or whatnot. Um, But that's still quite a high mortality. That's a death rate, um, not even a rate of complications that can be seen. Um, And when we are looking at weight loss surgery, you know, we see both sleeve and bypass um, to be interventions that have been approved for children. And so that would be the the gastrectomy or gastric bypass. And this is going to be removing um, a part of their body and that's rendering them permanently dysfunctional um, with moving, removing a large part of their stomach. Um, and these body parts are not able to be replaced or, um, should not, need to be reduced, um, because this bypassing means that they're going to be permanently left with a loss of amount of intestine that will absorb nutrient. Um, and, um, there's going to be issue long-term when we talk about vitamin and mineral deficiency, uh, and that can drive a whole gamut of disease risk like the main ones we'll know is vitamin uh, b12 and we know for sure that we can see calcium deficiency increased risk for osteoporosis pernicious anemia with the b12 um, but it's so much more broad than that when we're talking about vitamin and mineral and antioxidant deficiency
1: and then you know not to mention there's always this rapid weight loss in in you know adults who get these surgeries but then we see over time um, because you know you're really restricted to eating a very very small volume Mm -hmm. so if anyone's restricted to that they're going to actually lose weight but over time um, we can kind of you know stretch the stomach back out and we see Mm -hmm. 25 to 50 percent of adults who undergo these extensive surgeries eventually regaining all or most of the weight yeah so
2: what a risk factor with moderate results Um, and when doing it at such a young age You know, what's going to happen then if you do that on a 12 year old, what's going to happen when they're 22, you know, and then what's going to happen when they're 32 and 42 and 52, um, as opposed to doing this type of a procedure on someone in their mid forties. Um, I, am also not sure again, if the child is ready or being really empowered with rewiring their eating behaviors or given the opportunity be that maybe they're not the one purchasing the food in their household. And so it seems like such a wild, um, disadvantaged to anatomically make change in their body that cannot be recovered or replaced.
1: Totally, totally. And um, actually, when I was pre my dietetic internship, even um, I worked with a group of medical students at Baylor who started a program for bariatric um, candidates for teenagers. And I at, at the time, I didn't know about this whole world, but I was like, how can we be you know, recommending these things and that the group was, you know, looking to intervene. So we made, you know, things like hummus and healthy snacks, we brought the families in and, mm-hmm. you know, tried to get the kiddos on board with exercise and lifestyle change pre bariatric surgery. And that was just to make them qualify for bariatric it's true. surgery. right? Right. Um, but still, you know, there's so so much that can be done. So, um, you know, one of the issues, you know, is that we're immediately going to these interventions that create, you know, profit for pharma bottom line and a lot of profit when we're talking about those injectables that are we said $1,300 a week potentially or was that a month a month a month month. still a lot of money and you know not covered by insurance for a lot of people and then these bariatric surgeries that can be you know tens of thousands $30,000, $50,000. Yes. $30,000, $50,000. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So wild and so frustrating. And, and you know, for many years, the AAP has unsuccessfully, pro- you know, promoted diet and exercise with obesity rates continuing yes. to soar. And I would question why have they been so unsuccessful?
2: Right. And, and are they trying to be successful when we look at, you know, what's going on and who is um, really penetrating or playing the biggest role in, dominating the nutrition and medical space as far as funding so you know we know soft drink companies and processed grain companies so pepsi coca-cola general mills they continue to dominate this space um, and there have been massive changes in our food system in the past two decades um, you know we use that grass generally recognized as safe system um, as far as allowing chemical shit storms into our foods that have obesogenic effects, um, that disrupt endocrine and hormone signaling, that drive hyperinsulinemia or excessive insulin levels and and excessive body fat. Um, And we're, we're seeing kids today, as well as adults, consuming less real food than ever and more products of the industry than ever. And there's never been a meaningful analysis by the AAP or anyone in the world of obesity to examine these processed, refined, obesogenic ingredients, the role of pesticides or plastics, um, the, the impact of sedentary lifestyle, because there's just no incentive to get outcomes
1: through those changes. Sure. Um, And so all we end up hearing is diet and exercise alone won't do it um, or it's not enough or we can't get people to comply, but we have to ask ourselves, you know, what types of diet and exercise program have truly been implemented and what obesogenic ingredients have been removed from school lunch programs for example
2: no doubt um and and you know what's being addressed as far as the substances that are lurking in their school systems um and you know when we even just think of the idea of lunch cafeterias used to have like a lunch lady and Mm -hmm. like progressively that's become from real potatoes to powdered potatoes to you know prefab commissary stuff that they're just heating up to completely eliminating them totally and having nacho cheese stands right um and so it's been such a um, regression I think as we've evolved in more industrialized foods um and that's that's a huge piece of the puzzle because people aren't eating food period and we don't metabolize these other things right
1: so while to look at like the comparisons when um, I see this posted on social media like the lunch tray in America versus Japan and it's like oh they have vegetables they have real whole food like a, you know legitimate portion of um, fish or something like that on there whereas you know our kids are getting french fries and we can call the tomato sauce on pizza a vegetable and mm-hmm. um, the fruit requirement can be met with canned peaches that are canned in you know syrup um, which is just going to add sugar it's pretty wild yeah canned they can, in plastic they can count their juice toward the fruit requirement it's like what are we what are we doing yeah No doubt. Um, So let's real quick um, dig into funding. So we noted all of these studies supporting the use of weight loss drugs in kids were funded by the drug companies themselves. Um, So really, they're just looking to expand their audience and are increasing profits. Um, Let's look into the AAP and their Top donors, because I bet there's something there. Right. Because if they're making the policy, hmm. Um, So, you know, Coca Cola is
2: the world's largest producer of sugary beverages. And It had been a partner of the AAP, but back in 2015, they did cut ties in that capacity and they had to end their relationship after um, revelations that the company had paid for scientific research playing down the role of soda and obesity. Hmm. So, you know, I'm just stating that to state that there has been known influence on the AAP's guidance and recommendations based on their funding. Okay, um, and so when I pulled up the most uh, recent list of top ten donors as of twenty twenty one, that was where I could find the most recent di- uh, list. Um, Melissa and Doug seems, love them. Seems fine. Yeah, it's a toy company. Okay, um, Reckitt Mead Johnson, um, which makes um, Enfamil, um, which is uh, infant formula which provides corn syrup solids and vegetable oils within days or first day of life. Um, Abbott Nutrition was on there, which is a pharma company. Um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was on there. Uh, We 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 don't
1: have any concerns
2: about them, right? Nope, philanthropists. (laughs) Um, Novavax um, was listed, which is a known pharma company. Procter & Gamble, um, both in industrialized foods and chemical production. Um, And then uh, Novo Nordisk um, also was noted, which had, again, funded Mm. both that injectable drug uh, study as well
1: as um, the oral one that we examined. Um, So pretty wild. So, yep, that's, that's concerning. Um, so it comes to question, you know, as we expand the target population, um, these companies could be gaining, you know, 50 to $80 billion in profit. Um, so why, you know, wouldn't they want to feed into the problem in the first place by downplaying the sustainable solutions and creating this long-term customer?
2: Yeah, and I think you mentioned that a couple times now, Becky, and I think that's so true both with drug dependency of using weight loss drugs because we see that refractory regain, but also when we think of starting children on drugs when they are still in a growing mode, they're still in a really heavy neuroplasticity and neurotransmitter formation and a lot of their glands are still fully developing, especially like adrenals and such. And um, when we look at, for instance, like ADHD and the substantial increase of risk of mental illness and the need for anxiolytic drugs um, or antidepressant drugs or long-term dependency on forms of ADHD medications through adulthood and beyond. Um, And so when we're looking at this, a weight loss drug, like I said, you know, doesn't improve mood. It doesn't correct nutrient deficiency. It's this band aid that creates more of a deeper bleed. And um, yes, as a positive thing, it's it's so so um, diabolical, right. you know. And that's what's disheartening to just think that there are people that are able to dehumanize and um, really allow the insult and injury to populations of need. Um, But I I think it's just too clear. And um, I I think, unfortunately, we're not providing logical interventions and applicable tools for weight loss through
1: diet and exercise. Right. And we're just looking to get younger and younger with, you know, the population that we offer this to. And then that hooks them for life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, not to mention or, or I guess to add to all of this, there's all this disinformation out there. you got to use that word um, in the right way. It. Is, it, is it the right way? Um, I always get confused. Disinformation versus misinformation. Well, disinformation is like a made up yep. term yep. from the yep. bad yep. season. It's a made up term. Um, and I think it means like intentional misinformation right. yes. when I had to Google it because I didn't understand what people were talking about. Why they weren't speaking english anymore um but from places like tufts university school of nutrition science and policy we saw um, published in the journal nature food um, in october of 2021 um, they created this food compass that was based yes. on thousands of foods and beverages and basically ranked them, um, in order of, you know, what would be to be encouraged, to be moderated and to be minim- minimized. Um, we'll include a link just so y'all can see this, uh, graphic that we're looking at right now, but you've possibly seen it on social media, um, where it's got the green, yellow and red, bars um, next to all of these foods. Let's just read maybe from top to bottom in the yeah. the to be encouraged um, section first.
2: So in the to be encouraged things that I would say okay fair but maybe not 100 uh, watermelon was listed kale date was listed uh, and so far those are the only ones I see that I would put in a, a clean tier.
1: And then um, also our, in the To Be Encouraged was <laughs> frosted mini wheats yep. right underneath kale. And I'm like, one of these things is not like the other at <laughs> all. I'm confused. Um, unsweetened almond milk, which we know, you know, can have a lot of additives and processed ingredients and can be like a
2: cup of glyphosate
1: that mm-hmm. yep. I'm yep. seeing
2: as far as reports on almond milk.
1: Yep. yep. Totally. Um, nonfat frozen yogurt right up there you know, with a 78 score, chocolate covered almonds, orange juice with calcium and honey nut Cheerios, which also are a cup of cup of glyphosate. And then some even the, you know, gluten free claims on them.
2: Yes. And then in the middle is some things that are maybe whole foods, you know, so there was sweet potato fries or chips, but probably made with an industrialized oil. So I would disagree. Where's actual Uh, sweet potato? I know. Um, there was egg substitute fried in vegetable oil, disgusting. Skinless chicken breast, Lucky Charms, whole wheat bread, canned pineapple in heavy syrup in this moderate area, boiled or poached egg. Um, so that didn't get the green, which makes zero sense. Whole milk, Al- almond M and M's, um, non-fat mozzarella cheese, and ice cream cone with nuts. Mm, it's very those, those nuts make the difference. <laughs> And then the red, this is the shocking thing, um, which is why we would flip this whole thing upside down. In the red, the only things to absolutely limit are whole egg fried in butter, which is like uh, every day, and then um, cheddar cheese and ground
1: beef. Yeah, I would say I eat the majority of those three things um, on this list. Pretty wild. That Lucky Charms is ranking way higher than ground beef. Mm -hmm. And Frosted Mini Wheats highest. So no wonder, no wonder people are confused. If this is the information that is coming out of supposedly credible institutions and, you know, guiding our, what we're we're doing in our households, no wonder we're confused.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think it doesn't have to be that complicated if we can really start the conversation of what is the whole real food and getting back to eating things that our great grandparents eight, we don't even have to get into the nuances as deep of macros, but, um, if we're looking for weight loss, definitely carb control matters. And, um, if you're not balancing your blood sugar levels and you're eating refined processed sweets and refined processed grain products as the foundation of your diet, which has been recommended now since the nineties with the food pyramid, with the eight to 11 slices of bread per day, you know, I mean, that's what we've been told and that's only created this skyrocketing trajectory of obesity.
1: Yeah. So don't listen to the quote unquote experts. It's kind of what we're learning from, yes. from all of this. Um, let's maybe shift to more of what we can do to, mm-hmm. and where to focus to really tackle this issue head on.
2: Yeah. So I would break it down into probably like five different areas. Um, One would be digging into reducing toxicity and supporting detoxification. And this would be a huge intervention for someone dealing with actual obesity. So this would be more of an intervention than a preventative. Of course, we'd want to reduce our exposure to toxins in our food system because they do disrupt our metabolism. Um, But this would be more of like a let's, let's get in there and make sure that we're making the body's metabolism work best for us. And that would really require detox support. Um, I would focus on rewiring addiction and disordered eating. So creating mindfulness, understanding hunger and satiety, discussing with the individual what foods create more satiety and what appropriate portions are of those said foods. Um, Supporting microbiome balance, we've seen study after study about uh, dysbiosis and bacterial imbalance driving obesity, interrupting with insulin sensitivity, driving inflammation in the body and that an optimized gut flora is going to support not just healthy bowel regularity but also optimal metabolism and flatten the abdomen. Uh, I would focus on correcting nutrient deficiencies and we'll dig into a couple of the, the highlighted ones of that today. And then um, I think, though, regardless, the first place to start is in reducing carbs and, and creating carb awareness. Um, and so I'd say as a prevention, I would say focusing on whole real foods first. As a treatment of obesity, focusing on carbs yeah. first is going to be the biggest priority because we just got to get the weight down.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and we'll dig into more, you know, low carb um, and keto in a moment. Um, let's first just have a quick word from our mid-roll sponsor for today's episode, Wild Foods.
2: Yes. So wildfoods.co can't be a better sponsor for today. I know Colin is also super passionate like we are in this concept that real food is medicine and they take their mission very seriously to fix the broken food system. And they really invest in this idea that these whole real foods can nourish the body and fight chronic disease uh wild foods has a lot of my favorite pantry staples anything from their um, turmeric which is what i use on a regular basis in my bone broth with coconut milk and cilantro Um, they have also wonderful tea program Um, some of my favorites are their coconut chai which has red rooibos cinnamon ginger coconut flakes um, and cloves and um, crushed chili uh, also i love their elderberry immune tea i've been sipping on that in the evenings and um, they have a really fabulous uh, thai g tea which is a uh, uh, green rooibos and lemongrass a really nice um, herbaceous flavor profile and um, non-caffeinated so it can be done throughout the day uh, they have my favorite powdered matcha, and that's a great way where you get, you know, 10 times the amount of EGCG as an antioxidant boost to support body fat burn. Um, and also that boost of L theanine for brain focus and concentration without agitation and anxiety. Um, they have the wild harvested vanilla bean powder that I use in smoothies and baked goods. And then also, they have a fun product called Cocotropics, um, which is a favorite of mine. It's a wild superfood elixir. So this is a blend of cacao, raw cacao, reishi, chaga mushroom extract, raw maca, and turmeric. So it's a nootropic, which is going to aid with brain focus and concentration. It's highly antioxidant rich and brain boosting, um, and anti-inflammatory. And that's something that you can sip on like hot chocolate, um, or you could add into your coffee and make a mocha and you might even blend in some of their raw cacao butter, um, as a fat there. If you're going dairy free and, um, want more of that,
1: um, cacao flavor profile. So, so yummy. I forgot how much I love their matcha and how just, bright and like green it is until this recent detox when I was off of coffee. Um, and I've been doing a matcha latte with that and their vanilla bean, um, every day, which is so yummy.
2: Love it. Um, so go on over to wildfoods.co, um, that's wildfoods.co Put an Ali Miller RD at checkout. You'll get 12% off your order. And for a limited time, they're also giving a bottle of their turmeric ginger syrup. So go on over today at wildfoods.co. Use the code Ali Miller RD. And one more shout out would be their collagen. I've been using their oh, collagen yeah. peptides since there was a recent consumer report on concern in lead. Um, and so people have been asking, that's whose collagen I'm using as well.
1: All right. Um, let's get into low carb and just... Before we're going, you know, full-blown keto, creating carb awareness in kids. So, I mean, number
2: one, carb awareness is key. And this is that concept that, you know, when you eat carbs, you are going to have a spike in your blood sugar levels. And that's like this mountain um, peak. And often that blood sugar is going to drop rapidly following the blood sugar spike. And then that can create, um, you know, dysregulated energy or it can create hanger or frustration or anger or irritability or a flatness or a fatigue um, and so we do really want to get off that blood sugar roller coaster and one of the big things we're looking for in that concept is ensuring that we have carb awareness and that we're doing no naked carbs um, so this is a really good initial metabolic priming for balance for blood sugar as well as satiety Um, And so anytime we're having a carb, which we can think of as a grain-based food, um, so this could be like rice, or this could be, if you're doing breads in your house, a slice of bread, um, this could be starchy vegetables, or a fruit, um, or of course anything sweetened, which we would want to remove the sweetened, processed foods 100% during a time of focused, clean eating, and just to keep the palate optimized. Those should really only be limited indulgences. Um, And so when we have a car, we'd want to pair that with protein or healthy fat. Um, So that would be like almond butter or peanut butter, or that could be avocado on top of some rice, or that could be also adding some chicken on your black bean, or um, adding a different kind of protein like bacon and cheese on part of a potato. Um, So when we have this protein or fat, that does kind of sit like a lid on the jar and not let the blood sugar spike as rapidly. And that's going to create more like a speed bump of blood sugar response and also provide with that lower, slower blood sugar release, more satiation. Um, So less um, hunger and more appetite satiety so they don't have to keep overeating.
1: Sure. So they're not going to eat as frequently or eat as much.
2: Yes, totally. And then um, when we're talking about pairing that carb with protein or fat, um, we want to be mindful of knowing, you know, what a carb portion is. And I think our um, food is medicine for the whole family program would be a really strong recommendation across the board. Um, we go into an entire class on what are carbs, what are proteins, what are fats. We give you a grocery list. Um, we walk you through my pantry um, and good, better, best selections, how to modify meals to fit all household members' needs, and then how to figure out each household member's macro needs. So, how many carbs? protein and fat grams does your 16 year old boy need versus your nine-year-old daughter Um, and where is their starting weight is it ideal are we looking to um, support a a high endurance athlete or are we looking to um, support better metabolism and blood sugar sensitivity with some moderate weight gain Um, or are we looking to address obesity so that's a really good program Um, It would provide a lot of resource and um, tools as well.
1: Super, super fantastic. And we also have a video um, on kids' snacks um, starring Miss Stella that goes oh, yeah. through we'll link that. Um, some examples of, um, I'm just thinking those, those, you know, carb pairings. And yeah. um, she talks us through like some of her favorite foods in each group. And then we show how to put them together. Um, so another fantastic resource for you
2: I think she was four I no, in that video. It's I pretty know.
1: funny. I, <laughs> I remember one of the rules is make sure it's tasty. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still applies, right? So this way of eating and I think showing Absolutely. kids that this can be delicious is really, really really important.
2: Yes. Yes. We don't want anyone to think they're on a diet and that's the difference of this. This is clean eating for your household for life. This is not a diet. Right. Right. Um, it's redefining what is a food and what belongs in your body and how you're honoring and nourishing your body on a daily basis. And you can have a lot of fun while you do it for
1: sure. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, finding fun replacements for like the hyper-processed foods can be a starting point too. I always get that question of like, well, how do we go from the Doritos to like eating, you know, unprocessed whole foods? Like, that's a big step.
2: Yeah. And maybe in the beginning, if you feel the need, you do the Siete chips yeah. that are flavored as well. And, yep. and are they expensive? Yes, they are. And guess what? You don't need to eat those either. Right. <laughs> so right. that's kind of the answer right. to and that. And you like
1: pair them with guacamole. And then, you know, maybe we step them down to the unflavored right. ones, just right. sea salt and then maybe we step them further down to like crunchy pork rinds or something yeah, like that. Noah has slices. loved those his whole life. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Love it. Yeah.
2: Um, let's cover some research on um, using diet as an intervention for child obesity. I think that this is something that was not acknowledged, yeah. right? It was like, well, yeah, yeah. it just, we can't keep waiting because diet and exercise aren't working. We still need to keep diet and exercise as what? the top recommendation. What diet,
1: what exercise? Right. Um, so yeah, let's talk about um keto in kids and, you know, when it's appropriate and and what some of the literature shows us there.
2: Yeah. So this study that we'll link in the show notes looked at the metabolic impact of a ketogenic diet compared to a hypocaloric diet in obese children and adolescents. And, um, both groups did have significant reduction in weight as well as fat mass and waist circumference, as well as fasting insulin and an improved insulin resistance score, but the differences of all of those were greater in the ketogenic group. And the ketogenic group, again, did not have a calorie deficit um, that was mandated. It was just to get into ketosis. And so the ketogenic diet itself yielded enough satiety that the participants ended up being in a calorie deficit to lose weight, um, but they weren't in the hypocaloric diet. I thought that was really interesting to note. Um, and then the conclusions note that the ketogenic diet revealed a more pronounced improvement in weight loss and metabolic parameters than the hypocaloric diet and is likely a feasible and safe alternative for children's weight loss.
1: Where the heck was that on the AAP recommendations? Feasible. Right. <laughs> And safe. Yeah. Um, that sounds that good. Sounds
2: important. Um, this is another study that looked at the effect of a low carbohydrate, unlimited calorie diet. So they keep doing that. And I think that's interesting because uh-huh. what would happen in the results if they did a actual low carb and restricted calorie diet, right, right. which would be seen as a true intervention right. treatment um, c- comparable to like weight loss surgery. And that would be reasonable if we're dealing with significant obesity.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and, you know, keto in itself is self-limiting in terms of how much fat you can eat and the satiety factor. But yeah, I don't know why we're not looking for amazing outcomes in these studies. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But this was still pretty solid as well. So this looked at low carb, um, unlimited calorie diet on treatment of child obesity. And, um, they looked at children that, um, were in the pediatric endocrinology clinic And um, they took a carbohydrate-restricted diet of less than 30 grams a day with unlimited calories, protein, and fat. Um, And then they took a calorie-restricted diet. And they found that at two months into the study, children in the higher-protein, low-carbohydrate keto diet lost an average of 5.21 kilograms. So that's not pounds, that's kilograms. Uh That's significant. Um, So over 10 pounds of body weight in two months in the children and decreased their BMI by 2.4 points um, compared to the children in the low-calorie diet who actually gained an average of 2.36 kilograms. And one point on the BMI value. And so A, the calorie restriction didn't work. And I think that's interesting again when we're talking about weight loss doesn't mm. work, weight loss doesn't work. Right? Is it calorie restricted plans that don't work? Or are you using a quality ketogenic diet as an intervention? Because every study I saw out there on obesity in children with keto had really significant successful results. So they concluded that a high protein, low carb, unrestricted calorie diet was superior to a restricted calorie protocol for weight loss and obese school age children. And moreover, the compliance
1: <laughs> was better because they
2: actually lost yeah, weight.
1: That's really key. And and the foods were satiating and they weren't feeling, you know, like they were on these hundred calorie pack of restrictive air, right? They were getting like whole food likely with that approach. Yeah. So
2: as we're talking to you, if you haven't checked out also our 12-week Food is Medicine ketosis program this would be a great fit for not just moms and dads, but totally applicable for rewiring kiddos metabolism as well. So, you know, there's kind of two tiers that food is medicine for the whole family is more about your pantry, dining out, and really this lifestyle change for your household. And the keto class would be if we're really looking to see weight loss Mm -hmm. results. Um, Both could absolutely be done at the same time. But, um, you know, to space them out, depending on where your household is at and what your priority is, that's what I would weigh it out. Are we looking for lifestyle change or are we looking for weight loss
1: now? Um, And
2: then you can kind of layer in the other when ready.
1: Totally. And I think, you know, being the example in your household in either of those scenarios is really, really important. So as parents educating yourselves, going through the program and then letting those shifts trickle down throughout the household and letting your kids see you make a change. Yes. Um, You're eating the food too. You're not like sneaking Doritos in the closet while you're keeping them on a more restrictive diet right no doubt I um, mean
2: be the testimony right and let them especially adolescents you know so maybe the eight-year-old nine-year-old doesn't care as much as that 14 15 year old like what's mom and doing exactly yeah. you know not only are you looking kind of you know like you're fitting in different clothes mom and you got a pep to your step but you have a better mood yeah. and you seem clearer and you seem less frustrated what's going on um, so I think that that's a huge piece of the puzzle for yeah. sure
1: Um, Let's also hit on a little bit of what I was talking about with the Doritos, um, rewiring these addictive tendencies and creating more mindfulness and how this is so, so important for kids.
2: Yeah. So I mean, I think right away, priming from baby led weaning on, and especially in toddlers, getting kids away from being frequent grazers, like just stuffing those teether rice cakes in their mouths and Always something. I can't tell you how many toddlers I see just with food always, always in their hand. Always. Rack, rock, rock, just walking around with food. Grazing, frequent grazing and distracted eating is not optimal for priming satiety and mindful eating. And that starts at that age yeah. right away. Yeah, yeah. Eating should be done in an eating environment. And um, you know, if a child is hungry between meals, this is where they're offered raw vegetables. Um, if you feel that they are nourished, if you've looked at their lunch and you feel like they've had enough of their protein and such. Um otherwise If they are hungry and you feel that they need nutrient, give them protein and fat as offerings. And so this is a, okay, would you like a grass-fed beef stick? Um, This is a, okay, I could heat you up half of a salmon filet from last night's dinner. Or this would be an offering of okay, I can get you a couple squares of cheese and some walnut halves and um, some pieces of pulled chicken from last night's dinner. Um, So protein and fat is what we're always offering at times of hunger if we feel that they actually need nourishment. And if we feel like they don't need nourishment, that's where I'd go for raw veg. Um, And when we feed them at their mealtime, we always start with the protein and the fat. And then we could layer in carbs through their meal. So if you do like smashed potatoes or you do roasted sweet potato and you know your kid is going for that food first, start with a half portion of that food and give them their full meat portion and maybe their veg portion and have them take some of those bites of those foods before you give them more. I think there's... A little bit too much of, again, that disempowerment of like, oh, like just let them eat what they need to eat and don't shame them to eat everything on their plate. And I think that's fine. But I also think it's fine to know and be educated how many ounces of protein your child needs to thrive and to ensure that they're getting that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And to be staunch enough to empower them because why would I ever, if I'm an educated person in nutrition, why would I ever disadvantage my child to not have the best nourishment she can have if I know what she needs? Yep.
1: Yep. We've done a lot of that with Noah, you know, at age two, I feel like he really hit like a picky eater kind of phase and food jag. And we just, you know, stop the snacks between meals. Mm -hmm. We don't offer them. If he's hungry, we go see what he ate in his lunchbox. And, you know, if that food is still okay to be consumed, he eats the rest of the homemade chicken nuggets I put in there. And he will happily eat that at 3 p.m. because They offer his lunch at like 10 a.m. and he's just not hungry. And sometimes Um, they are distracted. Yeah, Yeah, And and
2: that's the thing. Again, like, you know, there's the not frequent grazing but also distracted eating. And that's the thing with Charles. She'll be like, oh, I was having so much fun talking about this with my friend. And I get that. Yeah. Like, it's a social time and it's a free time. Yep. But
1: Um, like, when they're hungry, they will eat these foods is really what we're finding. And we just don't put the sweet potatoes out at first. We just serve the protein and we say, oh, those are still cooling down if he saw the, Mm -hmm. you know, sweet potato fries. Um, once you've had, you know, six bites of your protein, your meat, mm-hmm. we're going to serve that up. And often he'll ask for a double portion of meat because he realizes that's so yummy yep. before he even asks for the other thing or he forgets about it entirely. And
2: then you use that whole food carb as like the dessert and exactly. that's fine exactly. um, and that can work beautiful. And I think talking to your children early on about satiety and hunger is important as well. Um, you know, Oh, are you sure you're hungry or or do you feel like maybe you need a sip of water? Or do you feel like maybe because now you can't play on the iPad or your show's over that maybe you're bored or you need a transition project or you want something creative to do? Um, and so I think exploring really what hunger is and what satiety is is, is really important so that they know what those cues are and can totally. be um, connected
1: to that. yep. And like, I always heard you saying to Stella, does your belly feel satisfied? And Mm -hmm. we talk about that, like, does your belly feel full? Um, and you know, what are those hunger signals? I think from an early age is really important.
2: I'm never going to force feed her past that satisfaction, but if she's asking for more blueberries and she hasn't eaten her steak, I'm going to say, oh, I'm sorry, Lou, you got to eat a couple more bites of that meat. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, let's hit on how we can reduce toxicity and support detox. Um, so, you know, what aspects of the actual 10 day detox protocol, um, would be appropriate? Um, what about supplemental support? When could we start something like that with children?
2: Yeah, so I think 100% that everyone can focus on whole real foods and limiting packaged products, all ages, of course. Um, And we can also start to make strategic moves on the materials we're using in our kids' uh, foods. So eating in stainless steel, lunch containers. We can link our lunch blog, which I think has our Mm -hmm. favorite containers in there. Limiting plastics, of course, in their beverages, so stainless steel water bottle as well. Um, If a child is exhibiting toxicity, so maybe they've been exposed to mold in the household, or they're dealing with um, some signs of neurological issues where detox support has been recommended, or they are classified as obese. Um, You know, especially if classified as obese, I would definitely use the 10-day detox supplement packs. And if that child still can't swallow pills, um, they could all be opened and put into a protein shake with grass-fed whey or a tablespoon of nut butter. Um, So the detox packs would be key if we are dealing with actual obesity and accumulated body fat Mm -hmm in any age because we need to get into those fat soluble toxins and mobilize them to support endocrine hormone function and regulation in the body and then for all kids you know um, i think a good starting tool as detox support is the cellular antiox especially because that one can really support with seasonal allergy um, upper respiratory function and reducing cough um, bronchial support. Um, so I just think of most kiddos having some area of Achilles heel in there. So bringing in that cellular antiox can support detox regularly while having that dual expectorant respiratory area of support. Um, and then another one that's kind of more of a food leaning, um, detox supporter, which is safe for kiddos is the Brocco detox. Um, so that one could be considered as well. Um, and then the ultimate detox, which are the white pills in our 10 day detox formula, for our Reset Restore New Packs. Um, and so the ultimate detox would be really those sulfur-containing amino acids to really upregulate detox again if we're seeing symptoms of toxicity in the child or clinical obesity. That's when then I would lean into that. But otherwise, the cellular antioxidant, brocco Detox, could be used as more of a prophylactic,
1: antioxidant boost, optimal health add-on. Sure. And I'm thinking even like the teenage, you know, tweens and teens population, the brocco Detox, ultimate detox for girls, you know, could help with if they're having painful periods. Yes. Um, if we're seeing, you know, both genders, um, acne, Mm -hmm. um, those would be helpful as well. Totally. Totally. I think that's a great point. Um, and then let's talk about, um, supporting the microbiome. So we talked about there is a link, you know, between what the bugs in your gut, kind of what population you've got Mm -hmm. going on and obesity. Um, and you know, we're already going to be getting better outcomes by limiting the chemicals that sterilize, um, limiting excessive sugars. How else can we kind of hone in on microbiome support?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see, yeah, less dysbiosis if we're eating lower carb and not fueling the sugar beasts. Right. Um, but we do see such a role, like I said, in gut bacteria on expression of genetics and even metabolic influence. And if they are eating more of a whole food approaching diet, um, like we talk about in our 12 week food is medicine keto program or our food is medicine for the whole family program, then they're getting also a lot more robust prebiotic fibers. Um, so, if they're eating, you know, their purple carrots with hummus as a snack, um, if they're getting half a banana with almond butter, um, and that's something that's a great. Um, thing to start their day as their eggs are cooking or something like that Um, we're probably getting a lot more prebiotics which are going to be like the fertilizer for good gut flora and then um, I'm a really big proponent of beyond eating probiotic rich foods which would be great Um, Stella is a regular yogurt eater um, so she eats a grass-fed full fat uh, strained greek yogurt so there is more protein in there and um, that's about four days a week as her breakfast option. And then she'll drink kombucha pretty regularly. And then even on top of that, we have her on the kids biotic. Um, and so the kids biotic is a great blend of the lactobacillus and the bifidobacteria uh, strains that have been shown to support metabolic health. Um, Also, these two strains have been shown to reduce sick days, um, severity of rhinitis or runny nose, as well as cough and severity of infection and fever in kids. Um, So it's a really good, just proactive probiotic that sets the tone for immune resilience as well as metabolic health. And that's what I would say would be a a good, powerful player, Um, you know, really chewing on two of those. And then depending on as we age, as we get to ages 10 plus... This is where we might just do the restore baseline probiotic. Or if we think the child has dysbiosis or guts been off, or maybe they took one of those medications and is weaning and was dealing with gastrointestinal effects, um, getting them on maybe the more powerful restore baseline, maybe doing a probiotic challenge using the restore baseline and then some kiddos especially if they've had frequent rounds of antibiotics with um, maybe tubes in the ears or um, various infections then we would really look at the rebuild spectrum which is that green capsule that has the multi-strains of gut flora including saccharomyces bolardi lactoplanetarium 99 and that one's more of that
1: robust um, diverse microbiome probiotic yep I open that into a smoothie for Noah like a couple times a week um, just for, you know, preventative and with all the Mm -hmm. gunk going around at school. So safe really from infants and beyond. It's just the delivery system of how you get it in them.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: Um, Okay. And finally, let's talk about um, addressing nutrient deficiencies. So obviously getting more nourishing, real whole foods, focusing on higher Protein, all of this is going to inherently be, you know, more nutrient dense. Yes. Um, but we'd also want to ensure um, for all ages that we're taking a quality multivitamin and probably not the one they provided in that one study, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> like a methylated multivitamin.
2: Yes, no doubt. Um, and so we are looking at getting a uh, multivitamin like the multivale Kids would be a great one that has that methylated folate as well as methylated. Uh, B12. Um, We're looking at all of the fat-soluble vitamins. Um, So we have a mixed form in our vitamin A of carotenoids, which is the water-soluble form, as well as the retinol form, which is the fat-soluble form. Um, We're looking at also supporting... good metabolic health with some of the minerals focused in here and so we have magnesium and manganese and zinc and iodine uh, to support thyroid function and so much more um, so about two to four chews of the multiville kids is going to be appropriate And then we can start with the multi-defense, either with iron if it is a menstruating girl. So if we're having a monthly period, then we'd want to take a with iron multi-defense or if history of anemia. And then otherwise, we would just take the multi-defense. And that can start as early as really age 8 um, or age 10 with one a day. And then we'd go up to two a day once the child reaches around 90 pounds of weight. And that's when we start to dose them as an adult, sure. essentially. Yeah.
1: Um, and then we'd also think about essential fatty acids being key, um, as they're going to play a role with insulin sensitivity, inflammation, brain health, concentration, totally. focus, so, so much more.
2: Yes. And this is why we try to do like, I have the fish tacos in the kids chapter in the Mm anti-anxiety diet and, um, Stella's simple salmon, I think also is in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook. Um, and so we're always trying to encourage seafood at least two to three times a week for all members of the household. And then Stella takes for sure our EPA DHA liquid about four to five times a week as well. Um, and there have been a lot of studies. There were 12 randomized controlled trials on overweight or obese children and adolescents. And um, they did find that fish oil was able to significantly reduce body mass index. Um, And they also were seeing no adverse side effects. Um, And they saw some favorable impact on lipid changes. So the conclusion was that supplementation with fish oil could reduce BMI, serum triglycerides, um, lower blood pressure, Um, and then they did not see significant outcomes in fasting glucose, um, or total
1: cholesterol with that study. Sure. And so that's just kind of, in addition to all of the measures that we've noted, um, Mm -hmm. would be a a great support. So, um, all of those supplements that we've just mentioned, the, uh, multi-avail kids, the kids biotic and the EPA DHA liquid formula, um, as well as our vitamin D balance blend formula actually are all in our kids essentials. Bundle. So if you're looking for just a one-stop shop of getting your kiddos started on, you know, the right um, supplements, that's where I would go.
2: Yeah, most definitely. And vitamin D deficiency is also a huge increase of risk of child obesity. Mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about vitamin D deficiency in kiddos with pandemic and the increased risk of hospitalization and, and infection severity. Uh, but vitamin D deficiency is definitely prevalent in childhood obesity. We see excess adiposity or body fat linked with poor vitamin D status. And we see the effects of deficiency during obesity to have several health impacts. So this can drive insulin resistance, inflammation, and compromised bone growth and mineralization. Um, and then I linked also another study, um, called vitamin D deficiency and childhood obesity, a tale of two epidemics. Um, and it ties the connection even of the influence of vitamin D deficiency on mood. Um, And we've seen actually, and this is a little real idea with Stella with vitamin D dancing around, um, that children actually tend to be more aggressive or defiant as adolescents, um, as well as we see more hyperactive behavior and anxiety levels when they have vitamin D deficiency. So it could be a great thing not only to, to prime that metabolic health, but to support mood jag both omega-3s and vitamin d deficiency and probiotics mm-hmm. can help to make a more calm toddler through adolescent um, and so again empowering them with nutrients that their bodies know how to use and know what to do with is the best way to get that multitude of benefit of factor um, which can actually then resolve what that band-aid approach of eating to escape can come from sure
1: and then i think adding to that getting them outside yeah, yeah. <laughs> for like one to two hours a day, totally. Um, I feel like is so key for so many of the things we just right. talked about, right? The hyperactivity, uh, their mood, they're getting the vitamin D boost, they're getting a boost to their microbiome by you know exposure to soil bacteria and you know things like that we've talked about in the past, and working off you know any excess of calories and helping to bring that weight down if they are overweight.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's that constant like, what is it? Food is the most overabused, anti um, anxiolytic, and, you know, uh exercise is the most under abused antidepressant. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's like, yes, um, absolutely cleaning up the diet, eating less processed, refined things, getting to a whole food as medicine approach, nourishing the body and then moving because you do create energy. Um, of course that's going to offset as a calorie deficit and also support hopefully muscle tone, which in itself creates more metabolically active tissue, which burns more calories through your basal metabolic rate. Um, but also the rewiring in the brain that takes out the addictive tendencies and the needing for the reaching i think is part of the rewiring that would create more sustained outcomes for sure yes so
1: so, so much in this episode, and I'm sure more to come on this topic, uh, for sure, but definitely check out the show notes over at naturallynourishedrd.com. That's where you'll find links to all of the studies that we talked about in today's episode, where you'll find links to our supplement line. Um, And you can also find the supplement line over at allymillerrd.com.
2: And while you're over there, check out both programs discussed, which was food as medicine for the whole family, which is broken down throughout the life cycle. Um, Really great deep dive that you have lifetime access to that you can take your time working through and really rework the relationship of food in your household. And then if you're looking to see some real food results, check out our 12-week food as medicine ketosis class. We are doing a live class right now as you're listening to this. Um, So this would be the timely one to jump into.
0: Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.